Hey, thanks so much for your giving tonight. Really, really appreciate that. Helps us move ahead in what God has for us. I just thinking uh, just about the trip. Uh, it was there nine days, and uh, we're, we we got to go one one day. The the teachers and group of the leaders. We just got to go. Well, let me back up for a minute. The reason I told you the story about this young man was because he's the one who leads these schools and he's the one who's actually helping open doors to nations to me and uh, he's only 23 years old and our connection in Cuba was very simply uh, a good friend of mine who I've worked with for years who lives in Brazil uh, was leading a YWAM base at the time and he just felt like somebody from his group needed to go to Cuba and uh, they had a certain date that they felt like they were supposed to go. And uh, so <laughs> it was coming close to that date, and he decided it was him that was supposed to go. And so he ordered a plane ticket, and two days later he found himself in Cuba with a phone number. He didn't have anyone pick him up at the airport. He didn't know if they were going to deport him when he got there, but he got there, he made a contact. And that one contact led to a series of events that allowed us to do a school there. So he just wants us to say yes, really. And uh, I was just reflecting that we were, we were in old Havana there. And uh, I'll just say this. Communism is completely demonic and binds people. You have people here in the U.S. who talk about have and have nots. They have no idea what they're talking about. Under communism, you have 98% of the people working for about 1% of the people. You have 98, 99% of the people who... uh, I talked to a doctor. He makes $40 a month. He's a radiologist. He's well-educated. He helps people. And he makes $40 a month. And... uh, Most people don't have cars. Most people don't have even things that we think about. But yet, those at the top have everything and are able to leave the country and things like that. And so it's it's just a completely oppressive system. And uh, anyway, we were um, one of the most powerful sessions of the school was one of the teachers asked him how many believe that the story of creation is relevant to the gospel. And in my thinking, this is a pretty simple question, but in their thinking, it's so completely different because for 15 years of their life, they're forced to go to what is the equivalent to a Soviet bloc school where the government is God. (laughs) And so when you have an opportunity like that to begin to shift a mindset and you begin to see people's minds open up to a bigger reality that God can break in in their country, that, the see, the Bible works and the Holy Spirit works no matter where you are. Biblical concepts work wherever you are and they can change the world in which you live in. And you're not bound by the government that you're under. And it may be a little more challenging, but you're never bound by the system that you live in because you live with a system from a different reality. So when you begin to help change people the way you think, when you begin to see people have life-changing encounters, really, it's, it's just quite humbling. But we were walking through Little Havana, and uh, I saw this guy going to a uh, lady. She does the cards and stuff. I don't know, calls her devils or whatever. I don't know what she does, tells people the future. She probably is prophetic. She's just got the wrong tour guide. (laughs) And I was just walking by. You know, it's good to have certain things agitate you. And sometimes I just say things, and uh, sometimes they're calculated. Other times they're not. And I just said, I'll tell you your future without you having to pay. And he just looked up, and um, he looked up at me, and then, my friend came over, and it's so neat when you work with other people because uh, it's, it's just Jesus sent them out two by two for a reason. Because two is better than one. Did you hear that, God? Two is better than one. <laughs> just repeating back to you what you said. 
<laughs> so he came over and he said, uh, he said, he said that, um, tell him, and he said it through our interpreter. I knew some Spanish, so I was speaking to the guy. He said, tell him that um, the lady is not going to be able to fix his marriage problem. And that's when the guy, we really got his attention. Because he was taking the day off because he was so despondent because he had marriage troubles. And so he listened to us and we had some other words for him and uh, we actually got to lead him to the Lord. <laughs> but that's not the best part. <laughs> he said, I'm an undercover agent for the communist government. <laughs> I said, Really? Can I get a picture with you? <laughs> I said, and he shows us this card. And when we went back to where we were staying in this seminary, the pastor kind of freaked out because he goes, no, that's real. He's really real. He said, and they're all over Cuba. And um, we got a picture of that too. And one of the guys on our team had been believing that we would eventually one day have a meeting with Fidel Castro. And so he proceeds to tell us that I am good friends with Fidel. And the next time you want to come, I'm going to try and set up a meeting with him. You see something happens and there's a domino effect in the kingdom of God when somebody says yes. I'm not in that position if I don't have someone in Brazil who decides to go two years ago and fly to Cuba with no contact there. I'm not there if somebody else doesn't coordinate a school. I'm not there if I don't have amazing people who I can say, I need money to go to Cuba and we need this much money, will you please consider giving? And so there's all these domino effects that happen in life. And this whole concept of, well, it'll just happen if God wants it to happen. Well, God's told you what he wants to happen and he's waiting for you to say yes. <laughs> And in your hands are the hands that are supposed to change nations for him. Your life is just over like that. Remember, I was in a car. I was talking with a friend of mine. We were, I'd flown in somewhere and we were just talking ministry things and different things that were going on and just some practical challenges that you're working through. And I just had this thought and I always want to live with this thought that in eternity what we're talking about we'll laugh at because it's just not really that big of a deal what's a big deal is just saying yes and it doesn't doesn't matter what's going on with just the yes of it all I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm working through the drudgery of trying to close on a house and one of the things I like to do on big purchases like that is saying everything that I have is yours and so Lord even before I move into this house it's yours so if one day you want me to give this house up it's yours I've just become a steward of it and thank you because <laughs> I'm paying it off early so I can give it away to somebody it's just all his I don't know why I said that but that's for somebody here tonight um Thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to um, Genesis chapter uh, 2. Genesis chapter 2. I want to kind of keep on the same, sort of the same theme I was talking about. Hey, let's just lift our hands. God's here. Just, I don't know if you just really sense His presence, but something's shifting here. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the privilege of just being here. 
Lord, I know my jets are about to kick off, so be with them tonight, Lord. (laughs) Be with all those crazy fans in New York, Lord. Keep them from hurting anyone. Those who are intoxicated now, Lord, get them out of the stadium. But Lord, let them win in Jesus' name. But Lord, Lord, I just thank you for the privilege of standing between God and man tonight. Lord, open up your word to us. Let it be like Luke 24 where you walked with those disciples on the road to Emmaus and you opened up the word to them, Lord. Open up the word to us. Open up the beauties of who you are and what's available and all the riches that are available in you, Lord. Lord, I need your help. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you for hungry people here tonight. Thank you that you're taking people from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you, uh, we'll open to Genesis 2 in a minute, and I'll just, I just, sometimes I, it's difficult to put words to actually what I feel like God wants to say, but I, I try my best. <laughs> That's why God created tongues. <laughs> but um, one of the shifts that I believe that the Lord is doing and shifting us as a people is that He's creating us in the culture of the kingdom. That's why he's trying to have us evaluate everything that is not of him and allowing that to be replaced with the reality that is of him. And culture is an interesting thing because culture is defined as this way. Behaviors, beliefs that characterize a particular group. Culture also creates an environment. And it's important because it's important to build a culture of the kingdom because culture is a necessary ingredient of environment. And environment is what helps create an atmosphere where people act correctly. Um, not, it's, it's not, there, there are statements in the kingdom that we make that I like to t- talk principles. God is so big that he can't be just measured down to one law. There are certain things we know to be true. We know this is right and this is wrong. But there are certain things in God because he operates simply out of relationship with us that it's true in one moment but not so true in the next moment. There's moments where he says, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. And then there's uh, moments where he says, from the time of Don the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffer violent and the violent take it by force. Well, which is true? Well, you'll have to ask him to find out. Mm-hmm. God prophesies in the book of Genesis that out of Abraham there will come a lineage of kings. But when, when, uh, when the people come to Samuel and say, we want a king, the Lord's like, no, I'll be your king. What's true? It's a mystery. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think we fail many times when we try and create a theology out of mysteries we don't understand. I like to just say, I don't get it all. What I do get is what bothers me. (laughs) So culture is behaviors that characterize a particular group of people. But culture helps create environment. An environment helps helps us to act correctly. In an environment of the kingdom, we're supposed to be a people of God, are to be characterized as new creatures. That's a really big point in the kingdom. And that's a really big point when I do schools that we have to spend a long time teaching because some people uh, are new creatures but they're still talking about their old life. There's two words in the Greek for the word new. There's, uh, when you talk about a new heaven and a new earth, the word new in the book of Revelation is actually renovated. When the Apostle Paul speaks about the word uh, new creatures in Second Corinthians 5 verse 17, he is speaking about something that never existed before. You are something that never existed before. The good news is that God took you with the mistakes that you would even make even as a new creature. And so uh, we are new creatures that are with the, the Holy Spirit leading us, are able to simultaneously move between two, two dimensions of heaven and earth. Heaven is our home. The Apostle Paul put language to it. Philippians 3, verse 20. We are not citizens of this world, but what, what? we are citizens of heaven. It was a present reality. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one has ascended except he that descended, which is the Son of Man who is in heaven. 
big problem. He's standing on planet Earth. <laughs> I, know, I know what people are saying. I just don't get it when they're like, Jesus is so simple. I'm like, dude, you ever listen to his sermons? <laughs> You know, I've heard people, well, just teach sermons like Jesus taught them, you know, real simple and down to earth. I'm like, dude, they ask him questions about his sermons and, they, and he still didn't answer them. What are you talking about? And the, and the 11 guys walking with him didn't believe that he was going to die on a cross. Oh, that's what he was talking about. He speaks at so many different levels when he speaks to people. But he allows us the privilege of being these people who move between two dimensions. It's different than this, than a, a subculture. A subculture is cultures, values, and behaviors distinctive of a particular group in a society and a group having social, economic, ethnic, or other traits distinctive enough from others within the same culture of society. Right now, in the, in the body of Christ, we currently have a subculture of the kingdom. And we still maintain the core values of the current culture in which we live in. That's why many times we will embrace a value system and call it a God thing that has nothing to do with God, but we call it a God thing and we think it's God because maybe it's attracting a lot of people or maybe it's popular, maybe it's selling a lot of books, but we are ineffective in changing the nations as God intends us to do. And so the Lord wants us to have a core value system that is rooted in heaven. The number one thing taking place in heaven is worship and adoration unto God. And as we, as we focus our number one attention on Him, we're able to get divine strategies and move between two dimensions. Acts 17 is a fascinating example to me because it says Paul saw the idols and he was agitated in his spirit. I believe that's the will of God for everyone here. Not to get agitated at idols, but when you walk around and the environment that we create of the kingdom of God, it agitates us to see things out of order as God intended them to see them. What agitates you about the world around you? Because it's probably a place that the Lord has called you to to offer a solution to. And so the Lord is making us a culture of the kingdom. A culture is to be a place where an environment is created for a people to de develop inherent traits by which they are able to bring the value system of their culture to any other cultural setting and still be distinct. I'm, I, I really sometimes enjoy going places I've never gone because I want to see... I want to measure what measure of grace am I carrying upon my life that is able to shift the reality of what's there that God wants there and that needs to be there. And sometimes an explosion hits when you both have the same similar core values and value systems in the same place. It's like, boom, you know, like it comes together, you know. A culture of the kingdom is always relevant because within its core values is the ability to meet the needs of people and answer the questions that people are asking. There's a buzzword. It's been in the buzzword maybe uh, 10, 12 years right now inside the church, and it's called being relevant. The kingdom is always relevant. You know, we have to, we have to decide certain things, and, and it's not, it's, it's not my... my, my my place to try and mock other well-meaning believers. But how many of you know you can be well-meaning and be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> they really believe that they were going to see some virgins when they blasted into planes 10 years ago. They were well-meaningly wrong. You know, it's interesting. When Fidel Castro came to power, he started out in villages and he began to assemble his group of men. And he said to them, be willing to die for the cause that we're about to undertake. Fascinating. I don't know what I was talking about, but that was interesting. <laughs> but here's the point. The point is that when Jesus walked this earth, he cast demons out. Now, in some places in the body of Christ, we're trying to make people comfortable in the name of being relevant with their demons. What would Jesus do? 
One of the challenges that is faced in this current hour is constantly developing as individuals a core value system and a thought process in line with heaven and therefore a biblical worldview. And so the Lord, from the beginning of time, has intended his people to think as he would think. Finally there, Genesis 2. Read verse uh, 15 just for a, a point of reference there. And the Lord God took man and commanded him, you are free to eat from... The Lord God, excuse me, verse 15. I was trying to move to a different place in my notes. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is the first command he made. Uh, God made in Genesis 1, verse 26. He made man in his image... Image means image, likeness, resemblance. It's, a, it's, a, it's another one of those fascinating mysteries in Scripture. <laughs> I still, like, don't fully understand it. Now, we are not little gods. Selah. I'm a little man from New Jersey. <laughs> but we are sons of God, who Peter put language to this mystery when he says, you are partakers of the divine nature. That's fascinating. Me? There is something divine about my looks. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> but he made us in his likeness and his, his resemblance, and he gave us, a, number one, the image of God makes you absolutely dependent upon God. Everyone's looking for God. They are. That's why he's called the desire of the nations. They just don't know it. They're trying to find fulfillment in life in something. Everybody's looking for job, family, whatever it may be, sports, you know. Some parents are nuts. There weren't any good in sports and they get their kids in Little League. They are nuts. God, deliver those kids to those parents. <laughs> and I wrestled from the time I was seven years old till the time I, I finished college and some of those parents are nuts, man. Living their life through their children kid ends up hating the sport and them. A lot of inner healing done for that one. But everyone's looking for God. They may not know it. They may be trying to fill it in a vacuum of something. That's why it's called good news. Hey, I got the answer for what you're looking for. You may not know it. <laughs> and so everyone needs God. That's the first thing the image of God does. You were born for interaction with God. You were born for intimacy with God. You were born to encounter God. You were, you, were, you were born to live a life of no limits inside of God. And the second thing the image of God does, because he, he made them a steward of the earth. He said, have dominion in the earth. He made us with a deep desire for significance to put an imprint upon the earth. And I like God because when he puts something upon the inside of you and he wires you a certain way, he actually gives you responsibility that comes with that. The book of Psalms puts it this way. The heavens are the Lord, but the earth has he's been given to the sons of men. God is blamed for a lot of stuff he had nothing to do with. The way I describe God's order in the earth is like this. Is God owns a house, which would be symbolic of the earth. And God owns a house, but God would look at his child and say, you're in charge of that room right there. And so... Maybe the room is messy. Maybe the room is messed up. Maybe it's got ugly paint on it. And then the, person, the son looks back at the father and says, Why'd you make the room nasty? Because it's not my room. I gave it to you to take care of. He has given us stewardship of the earth. He is Lord over all, but he's made a divine choice. That's why even when Adam sinned, he couldn't just make everything right. He had made a choice to make to make man his delegated representative, so he needed Jesus, the righteous son, to come as a second Adam. And so with that choice, he gave us responsibility. And here's the responsibility he gave us. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it and to keep it. That's fascinating to me because it opens up God's view of the earth. 
He didn't tell him to go have a prayer meeting, even though he was walking in intimacy with the Lord. He gave him the garden to take it. What's the point? Everything is, everything is spiritual to God. There's nothing secular, because secular means void of God. He intended every part of the earth to be filled with his glory. Now, here's the second fun part. Now, watch the pattern on how God acts. If you read Genesis 1, what does he do? He speaks the universe into existence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit speak. Let us make man. I like it. You know, like Charlton Heston. Let us make man in our image. You know, light be, you know. <laughs> and the earth is still creating. I love it when science discovers things we already know. So he speaks the universe into existence. He breathes into man the breath of life. And then what does he do? And the Lord God formed out of the ground all the beasts. This is verse 19 of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creatures, that was its name. He speaks. Now he gives Adam the privilege of calling forth the animals. What a fun day. This is, this is like better than any movie. You think movies are fun. I mean, this is real life stuff. Can you imagine that day? God, look at that thing over there. That is an ugly thing over there. Look, it's meowing. You sure it's not? God, you sure the devil didn't make that one? That'll be a cat. <laughs> look at that beautiful thing over there, God. Oh, he is beautiful, Lord. We'll call that a dog. <laughs> He loves the Lord God. Look at him. He's committed to you. He's committed to your kingdom and this garden. God, look at that big thing over there with big ears. And God's watching this. That's an elephant over there. God. I have this fascination too with donkeys too. <laughs> I don't know why I was passing donkeys on the way here this morning. I'm like... I like these guys. They used to get on them. You know, they make all sorts. Apparently, they're stronger than horses, some of them. But what a fascinating day. And I believe Genesis 2, verse 24, excuse me, verse 25, opens us up to understanding of how Adam was able to name the animals. And the man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I bet you've never meditated on that verse. But I was meditating on that verse. I've been reading Genesis over and over again. The Lord's had me in it. In Genesis 2, verse, it says they were naked and unashamed. And I put the Bible back. I said, you're trying to say something there. And then I had this thought. He just had named the animals a few verses later, a few verses before that. And then it says they were naked and not ashamed. And I thought to myself, he was naked, she was naked. And they didn't think anything weird about it. It was because they thought exactly like God intended them to think. How was he able to name the animals? Out of his communion with God, he had an understanding of God's minds, purposes, and emotions for how he wanted him to steward the earth. <laughs> how many of you know when God speaks to you in the shower, he thinks nothing weird? <laughs> That's why you can look every morning in the mirror and say, you're all together lovely. That's what he says about you. And so the concept of us thinking like God began even the book of Genesis. Now, here's the good news. We said a minute ago that we are new creatures. God, through Jesus, did not just restore us to the place that Adam was in. Because in the garden, they walked with God. In the new covenant, he lives upon the inside of us. Now, here's a thought that's fascinating to me. We'll read in a minute. It says that we have the mind of Christ. Jesus doesn't know the time of the second coming. Amen? I have this thought. That if we can think like Jesus, which is our inheritance, which is God's 
will for us. The reason, one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons. I'll discuss it with the Lord when I get to heaven. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus does not know the time of the second coming is because if he were to tell the Son, the Son would have the ability to give access to somebody on the earth the time of the Lord's coming. Because we've been placed in the very same place as Jesus and everything that Jesus did upon the earth, he did it with the Father's intentions and purposes. And so if he were to tell the Son, it would be accessible to somebody on the earth. And that wouldn't be good. At least I don't think it would be. You ever watch even what what is like May? Jesus was supposed to return, right? Right? No, you, you laugh, but it got worldwide attention. Do you imagine when the real deal or when the body of Christ steps in fully to the manifestation of the sons of God, how much attention that will get? One false prophet who's given a number of false prophecies over, I mean, the man's delusional. But many believe. Do you imagine what the real thing is going to look like? And so the Lord has given us his thoughts, his purposes, his mindset, his reality, his will. We'll read it now. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. However... We speak wisdom among among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things... The things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Now that's a promise, but it's a promise for today because look at verse 10. But God, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Excuse me. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of man. Now we have not received, not, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that God has freely given to us. How does it happen? The Holy Spirit transfers us everything that Jesus has to release to us. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, con- comparing spiritual things with our spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. But who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have, but we have, we have. It is our current possession, present tense in the Greek. We have the mind of Christ. It's important, though, uh, to note there that the Apostle Paul uses the concept that it is we corporately the mind of Christ. Because, especially as we move forward as a people, it's important that we, yes, understand God's will for our life, yes, understand God's purpose for our life, but there's a corporate reality to that. I remember uh, uh, one time I was really asking the Lord for understanding or something. That's another great, just a, a great privilege of being a son and daughter of God. You get to ask God questions. And I'm a person of a million questions. Why did you do that? Why is it like that? Because I want to know how things work. Or I'm just nosy. (laughs) 
But I was asking the Lord a question about something in terms of just something in our ministry. And he said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, really? I said, yeah, because I want to teach you your need for other people. And I'm going to give you understanding through other people's voice. And you'll know that it's me speaking to you about this situation. I get really scared when people think they're the only ones who can hear from God. Not a good place to be. If you're the only one who has a revelation, you might be wrong. (laughs) I remember just started teaching and started saying things and people were like, that's this doctrine or that doctrine, that's heresy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, this person taught it. I said, really? Yeah, it's in this book and they're wrong. I said, I got it from God, and it's in the Bible. (laughs) It's amazing that when you actually start teaching things in the Bible and doing things in the Bible, people call it heresy. I think it happened to Jesus. But revelation, even for your own life, is worked out in the context of a community situation. Even major decisions I make, I make it within a council of people. Because there's people that the Lord has put around me that I trust, have my best interests at heart, and can help facilitate and push me forward. Different sermon. The mind of Christ and an understanding of the mind of Christ begins with encounter with the Lord. Encounter is supposed to change your perspective of reality. Look at um, Acts chapter 9. Is everyone okay? Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing threats, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Selah. Meditate on that moment for a minute because it's really, really important to how God works and how God desires to work. Sometimes it's dangerous to know the rest of the story. Because we know what happened to Saul, and we know what the Lord did through him, and we know that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but you've got to read the story and find out. Everyone has a story. That's why I always like hearing miracle stories. Like, well, tell me, yeah, probably drive people nuts. Give me the whole thing, you know. Don't give me the whole thing when I'm about to pray for you in front of 300 people, but at some point I want the story, you know. Some of the people that you think are nuts and completely out of order have a story to what's happening in them. Remember people laughing the whole time while I'm teaching up here. And the Lord's like, just let them, I'm delivering them. So I I finish the meeting, we have a good meeting, and I find out later that the person's getting delivered of rape or trauma or different things like that. Totally in order in God's economy. It was just probably bothering you. It wasn't bothering God. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Then the man traveling with Saul stood speechless there. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. But Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. The story, that's why I'm reading it, begins with, and Saul was breathing murderous threats. The story ends with the miraculous conversion, but the story doesn't end there. If you follow the progression in the book of Acts, and I encourage you to read the book of Acts, you will find that what Paul experienced in that one moment completely changed his reality, to say the least. But every time he, almost every time he stands up to when he's actually arrested and we find the progression in the final chapters, almost every time he stands up, he comes back to this account of when he saw Jesus. Because what he saw changed his perspective on reality. And this man who breathed murderous threats against the Lord Jesus Christ begins to write the most profound revelation that we read about today. Philippians 3. I count everything as rubbish. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. That I know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know him. Galatians 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave himself for me. When he defends his faith in Acts 23, he says, I am a Jew. That's how he defended his faith. Because the outgrowth of his faith was the manifestation of Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, they said that you could put Paul's back, for you had Paul's back and Jesus' back when he was whipped and was about to be crucified. You could put them back to back and you could tell no difference that Paul, because Paul had been beat so many times for the cause of Christ. Encounter really changes things. It'll really make you think differently if we respond properly. Encounter usually comes where you hear the voice of the Lord. And Paul, uh, Saul, Paul, who, you know, Paul hears the voice of the Lord. He heard who he was called in that moment. By the way, his circumstances really didn't line up with what God was saying about him. Exodus, when Moses stops to see the burning bush, he was intentional. Saw the burning bush, goes to the burning bush. God begins to speak to him about who he is, and who he's called them to be. His circumstances didn't line up with that. Encounter changes perspective. Matthew 17, the mountain of transfiguration. They're on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. Again, notice the context of it. Those in his inner circle. Many are called, but few are chosen. It is the desire of God for everyone in this room to enter into the glories of knowing who Jesus is and encountering him and going from glory to glory. But by the grace of God, you'll have to step into that place to receive that which the Lord has for you. And they go up onto this mountain, Peter, James, and John. Jesus is transfigured before him. He's revealed to them in a way they have not noticed. And it says... Matthew's, seven, Matthew's version of it, it says they fell dead to the ground. Imagine that. There is an aspect of God when he comes in and visits a room that is incre- incredibly scary good. They were walking with him every day. But when he was revealed to them that way, they were fearful, it says. Jesus is a loving lover, and he is a righteous judge, but he is also to be feared. He is a man with eyes like fire. Divine connection between the fear of the Lord and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early church. Look at um, 
Acts 4. Verse 18, and then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Excuse me. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. For we cannot help but keep speaking about what we have seen and heard. For we cannot help keep speaking about what we have seen and heard. Who'd they see and hear? Jesus. It's supposed to change our perspective on reality. Matthew 17, the mountain of transfiguration is the same Greek word used in Romans 12, verse 2, when he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed Transfiguration, Greek word metamorphosis, it is to change into the form of another. Don't, but be, don't become formed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind begins with experience with Him. And so, as we journey with the Lord, and as we walk with Him, and as we commune with Him, We're supposed to have a constant discourse with Him. God is not taken back by anything that's happening in your life. (laughs) It's always comforting for me to know that. That bill you didn't know you were going to get, He's not freaked out by it. But everything that you face in life and every mountain that you face in life was always supposed to be faced in view of the revelation that you're receiving from God in that current moment. What do I mean by that? Uh, probably about three, three years ago, I was home on a Sunday, which is kind of a rare thing, and I was cleaning my house. Amen? <laughs> Playing some worship music. <laughs> I got somebody to clean my house now. It's amazing. She said, I just feel called to clean. I said, let me join your ministry comes over every month. God bless that woman. And I heard the Lord say, he said, you know, problems and difficulties are just an opportunity for for me to show you my goodness. I said, ooh, let me write that down. They'll think I'm really anointed the next time I share that. Well, three days later, somebody broke in to my home office and stole all my expensive stuff. What was he doing? The revelation I was receiving from him was setting me up for the obstacle I was about to face. So who is it that God needs to be to you in the situation that you're facing? What has he spoken to you as you've communed with him in light of the current situations that you're facing? And the more we dialogue with the Lord and encounter the Lord and set apart a time where we can engage the Lord, the more He begins to shift us as we just give ourselves over to that process by the grace of God. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but we begin to... He, his purposes, as part of His purposes of communing with us is to begin to recalibrate the way we think. The word think is to have a conscious mind to some extent of reasoning, remembering experiences, making rational decisions. We are supposed to think and make rational choices based upon the revelation that we're receiving of God. Many times, and this is why we we have to, we discuss a little bit the concept of environment and culture because 
I have found that you can prophesy into a culture that uh, is not built for the word that you're releasing. And so sometimes you can create more bad than good. It's, it's, and, and here's just an example I'll use. You know, sometimes uh, you're in a meeting or you're somewhere, you minister to someone, and maybe they're walking through a difficult time in their marriage. And, you know, you give them a word about their, you know, the Lord wants to fix this marriage and he wants to bring healing and different things. And on the way out, they go, pray that'll happen. No, you don't get it. He told you what he wants to do. There wasn't an operating, an internal structure to receive it with gladness. It's what Jesus spoke about when he gave the parable of the word. It's what Jesus spoke about when he said, no one pours new wine into an old wineskin. I remember I was in a meeting and it was really powerful. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, turn it up. You know, like, (laughs) I'm like a kid in a candy store when God begins to move. Like, just turn it up, you know. (laughs) And I remember one time I had this sense that the Lord couldn't turn up the power anymore because it would probably just wreck the whole system that was operating in that place. Encounter changes everything. Jesus spoke in this way because truth creates a platform for the transformed mind. Truth creates a platform for the transformed mind. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word and you you are my disciples indeed and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth was an ongoing place that you knew, but it was also a place that you can visit and experience. What we come to believe is what we have put our faith in and ultimately what determines our mindset. And here's the fascinating thing, that if you are thinking incorrectly and you are meditating on these things or you think because... I am this way, I will never be able to do this, or because I was abused as a child, I'll never be able to have a normal relationship with other, with other people in this area, then what happens is if you continue thinking like that, what happens is, you see, prophecy can work in the negative or positive. You actually begin to fulfill your mindset and your, your thoughts, even in false experiences, and it reinforces what you think about yourself. Every time you get into a relationship, whether uh, good or bad, you begin to think, well, this is just going to end bad. And so you actually short circuit things before they happen. Truth creates a platform for the development of the transformed mind. That's why it's really, really good if you... I love working with people who've never been to church get them saved, get them whacked by the Lord, and just tell them to read the Bible. They've never been told they can't do this stuff. Like, take out all your preconceived ideas and just read the Gospels. You're like, this is for me. There's no other conclusion you can come to. I remember... uh, Jackson Sinyanga's famous testimony, he's just saved the day in the first verse he reads, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I forget what it was, but the guy had this just terrible sickness at the bus stop and he reads the verse again and he lays hands on him and he miraculously gets healed. It works. Here's the good news. I hope it's all been good news. (laughs) Well, let me say this. These are important questions to ponder because we carry the greatest authority when we are continually submitted to the Lordship of Jesus and walking in our God-given assignment. 
Do you know what? I love arts and media. And I encourage people to move and operate in those areas. I believe that there are going to be a revolution of godly movies coming out of Hollywood. There already is in one sense. But I believe that you, the, the Lord is raising up young filmmakers to create movies that will tell like these amazing love stories. And at the end, people are just going to get saved. I saw one time, I think maybe three or four years ago, I was just talking to the Lord and he showed me this picture and, and he, he brought me inside this movie theater and, and it, I, I couldn't see the picture or anything, but the picture ended and the people were, you, you could just tell God was just moving. I couldn't see the people, but God was in the room. And after it was over, someone uh, stood up and just gave an altar call and everyone got saved. But here's the thing. At this point in my life, it could change. I never want to limit God. I, I, I don't feel called, necessarily called, to operate in that area. So guess what? I don't have strategies for that area. But the Lord wants to give you strategies for what He's called you to do. We've all been given authority, but it's authority properly delegated in the kingdom. There's no hierarchy, but there is order and structure in the way God operates. I always like to tell people, stay in your lane. I have a master's degree in education. If I go out tomorrow to one of these Asheboro schools, they will call the police on me if I try and go teach there. Why? Because I may have a, 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 a degree that says I have authority, but I don't have authority from the people there. And they'll put me up on a bad website. <laughs> they should. Weirdo. <laughs> so we have to discover where the Lord's put us. And sometimes discovering is, is not like... It, I, I just believe that if you're, you're, you're really posturing your heart and just pursuing the things of the Lord, if you don't know exactly what the Lord's called you to do, that's fine. The door will just be abundantly clear. I got... You know, I, I was just looking over certain things that I feel like the Lord's called us to do. And I was just sitting with somebody just really amazing in ministry. And they just said to him, they're like, you're, you're submitted to the Lord. The door is going to swing wide open for these things to happen. You don't have to have it all figured out. But I do know that strategy and understanding comes when you just stay in your lane, you know? Like, when I was a, a young believer, like, I loved Benny Hinn, you know? God didn't give me the Benny anointing, though, you know? Holy Spirit, you know, <laughs> I don't have a white suit. <laughs> Touch them. Don't interrupt the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love him, but I can't be him. Oh, here's the good news. God has made truth discernible through his son. Truth is available to all of us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. The way, His way, paves the way to know truth. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. It's not just simply talking about intellectual knowledge. The word there is actually could, could be used there who, in the Hebrew as prophetic understanding. No one comes to the Father except through me. <coughs> Truth is not a destination, but it's an invitation to a way of life. The more you walk with Jesus, it's like, it's like uh, if you look at a baseball field, the foul lines usually go further out the further you go. It's like the longer you walk with the Lord... It's like, I know this to be true, but I've developed my, my understanding, my experience in this area. And it's like the Lord keeps moving, moving the chains on you and saying, now I want to stretch you a little more. I want to stretch you a little more. And it feels awkward at times, but it's actually the place that we're supposed to live in. How many of you know that if you're walking correctly, what was intimidating five years ago is no longer intimidating? Or at least it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. The Word of God is a critical component. I always encourage people, like, read the Bible. 
<laughs> I know it's an amazing idea, but actually read it, you know. <laughs> read it and just don't read it, but ask the Lord to give you understanding. There are things that I've read for years now and I'm constantly asking Lord, Lord, let me read this in a way I've never read it. And there are verses, have you ever found that as you read the Bible, there are certain verses you're like, oh, I like that. It's the Lord inviting you to make that part of your experience in Him. That verse belongs to you. There are certain verses. The Sermon on the Mount belongs to me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Store up your treasures in heaven. That whole thing belongs to me. I'm constantly reading that. There's certain things that the Lord highlights to you because He wants to make it part of your experience in Him. Hebrews 4, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul, spirits, joints, marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God speaks in multivariate ways. And He speaks from an eternal, creative reality. The word double-edged there is a sword that has two sides. I found that the Word of God gives understanding in how and what God is thinking in certain situations. And it also gives you understanding of where you're located in reference to what He's speaking. Often, I remember like three years ago, I was driving somewhere... And the Lord says, you don't believe half of what I tell you. <laughs> okay. Anything else you'd like to tell me? Now that we're at it. Sometimes I'm like Mary, though. It's like the Lord would speak certain things to me. And I say, I have no idea what you're talking about, but let it be according to your word. I don't know what you're saying, and I have no idea how this is going to happen. But I say yes in that moment. Sorry, I have a lot on this subject. <laughs> Here we'll land the plane with this. The plane is landing. Initial descent. We're going to do some ministry tonight. Have some things I feel like the Lord wants to release if you want prayer tonight. Get your dog out. Get your cat out. We'll cast the devil out of your cat and pray for your dog. <laughs> A lot of cat people. Well, they're sanctified cats if they live with you then. Amen? <laughs> See, I just made it all better. <laughs> <laughs> Cat's name is Pookie. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> I'm sorry, but too many stereotypes come to mind when people say cats. <laughs> There's a certain, uh, I call it a certain rhythm that everyone has in their relationship with God. That's why sometimes, you know, they're like, we want, to, we want you to teach on how to hear the voice of God. I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I can. I can tell you how God speaks to me. And He can speak to you the same way, but He relates to you differently. You're at a different stage in your life. You're a different assignment in life. My father speaks to my sister and I the very same way, but he relates to us differently. We both had good relationships with him, but we relate on a completely different level. 
I can give you, I don't know, 23 ways that the Lord speaks that I found in the Bible. Here's what I'd much rather do. Let's all come here on one night and let's just worship God and let's encounter Him. And I guarantee you, He'll speak to everyone in the room. I don't want to introduce you to a principle. I want to introduce you to the God of the principle. I'm not opposed to that, teaching people how to hear God. But the point is, is he relates to us all differently. But there's a certain, I've learned over the years that there's like this rhythm that I have with the Lord.